This podcast is being recorded in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the land of the Sandia Pueblo, Laguna Pueblo, Acoma Pueblo, and Isleta Pueblo. So today we are actually very honored to have Terry Wildman. Terry Wildman is from the Ojibwe and Yaqui Nations. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Uh, he is the lead translator, general editor, and project manager, project manager of First Nations Version. Terry serves as the director of spiritual growth and leadership development for Native University. Uh, he is also the founder of Rain Ministries and has previously served as pastor and worship leader. He and his wife, Darlene, live in Arizona. I'll let you uh, introduce yourself further if you would like. Sure. Bujuniji, Bamarazig. Hello, my friends who share this life together with me. So, yeah, my, my wife and I, Darlene and I, live um, in Maricopa, Arizona, on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tana Otham. And um, my ancestry includes Ojibwe from Ontario, Canada, Yaqui from Sonora, Mexico. Um, and I also have some English, German, and Spaniard. So, hello. And uh, I have a question for Renee and Bobby. Have, have you guys read the the First Nations version yet? I haven't yet. Oh, okay. That's not good. But okay. How about you, Renee? <laughs> Do you read the yes. Bible, Bobby? Yes, I, and it has brought me to tears. <laughs> and I, I am also um, reading parts of Psalms right now, too. Yeah, I, I actually listen to the Bible, and that's intentional because... And our two our two guys here, Jer Jerry and Terry, will understand where, I, and you you and Renee will too. But I'm very intentional of not uh, filtering stuff through the you know like uh, through our old white relatives that have uh, been theologians in the past, and so <laughs> I'm doing it on my own. Terry, if you wouldn't mind, kind of explaining the First Nations version, like like what is it, and and like what kind of caused you to to want to translate the, the Bible into another version? I guess it was. Gosh, how many years ago? Right, right around 2003, when I first, the first seeds of this idea, I was living on the Hopi Res in Northern Arizona, trying to be a good missionary. And uh, during that time, I found out that I, I didn't know very much about uh, Native people, even though I had my own Native ancestry, uh, I didn't grow up in it. And so I was on a learning curve. And uh, and that learning curve lasted five years. But while I was on the Hopi Res, uh, I served a couple of years with a with a mission organization, and then I served uh, the church on Second Mesa, the Sunlight uh, Church. It's a Baptist church, uh, American Baptist. And so anyway, I found out when I was there that they had some Hopi Bibles, but they were in the storage room. And 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 the storage. I thought, why are they in the storage room? Why are reading? Why are we reading just from the NIV Bible? And all the churches uh, up on Hopi had NIV Bibles. Why aren't we reading from this? At least sometimes. So I took it to uh, our our people, and I found out that almost no one could read it. And that started a journey for me. That started me thinking. Well, wh why not? And then as, I, as I, I dug deeper, I found out that not only on Hopi, but on almost all of our, uh, in our native communi communities, these uh, translations aren't being read in our traditional languages, in our heart languages. And it just made me wonder, well, there's, you know, 
and I knew I knew I found out it happened through boarding schools, through the whole colonial process. Um, I don't want to go into all that, but but what happened was um, I thought uh, we were doing like jail ministry, you know, going into the jails, and we would do talking circles with the with the men and women in the jails. And I remember when we tried to do the Western style Bible study, where you just, uh, you know, you you go into the Bible and you you maybe you read a few verses. And I know some people handed out like papers to all the guys, right? And fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Well, I remember doing this, and man, it was it just felt like we weren't connecting, and I didn't know why. So so anyway. I started doing something different. I said, I started saying, what, what if we reworded this since our, our people aren't speaking in, in uh, their languages very much, very little. And, and especially we're not reading our languages because we're in oral cultures. Okay. So, so um, there should be like a Bible in English that is worded with our native people in mind using phrases and ways of uh and you know metaphors and things like that that would be relatable to our, to our people so i started working right there in the hopi jail and with the men and women and and i said what i said we're going to take this verse here like i think we started with psalm 23 because that that's the popular one right uh and i said well how, how are we going to say this uh, how if we were going to say this in a Hopi way or a Diné way or just a general native way that would relate to most of our tribes, how would we say God? How would we say God? So we came up, well, great spirit, creator, you know, started there. And then, um, so we said, okay, the great spirit. <laughs> and we just started working through the verse, you know, um, uh, He's my shepherd. Well, for the for the Dene, hey, that made sense. We got shepherds. We had sheep, but not all tribes had sheep and, and stuff. Uh, but but there was some relatability there, and so we just kind of worked on that. And what what was really cool was these men and women. They really started reading the verses of the Bible to make sense out of it, so they could reword it in a way. For, for our native people, you know, would would want to say it. maybe a maybe not modern native native people, but maybe our elders, our our traditional uh, speakers, who we like to listen to, who doesn't like to listen to one of our traditional storytellers or our traditional people or read Black Elk or or something like that. We like it, man. I mean, we read it. We go, that's us. Yeah, that, that that's good stuff. And so I wanted. I, I thought we need we need to have a Bible that speaks to us this way, speaks to us like an elder, uh, a native elder telling the story yeah. or like, uh, like, like um, a traditional uh, person who, who, who was very close to their own heart language, but yet they still spoke English, but English was the second language, you know, kind of thing. And so that's, that was the beginning of it, yeah, um, just, uh, but it didn't happen right away. It took, it, you know, I mean, the idea, we started working on this idea and we started rewording scriptures. We got other scriptures done and 
And uh, but I did notice that that um, this was something that really got our native people interested in what it's saying. You know, figuring out for ourselves, what is this verse saying? What does these words really mean to us? And how can we make it, to, you know, more re relatable to us? So um, in the beginning, that's all we did was just a few verses here and there. And I just thought it brought our Bible studies alive, our gatherings together more alive to in this process and instead of trying to get somebody involved they're going i want to do i i want to say something i want to add to that i think we should say it this way and we've come to a consensus uh in, in the group and that's kind of how it started um th then darlene and i um years later we were five years on the hopi res really loving the hopi people beautiful people beautiful to me a beautiful culture um and I, I just saw them so much hanging on to that culture, you know, as much as possible because so much of it was being lost. And um, and uh, it was really, in a way, it was good to to get the men and the women as we looked at this at the Bible, at the scriptures, the Christian scriptures, to relate it to our culture, the Hopi culture. Where does it? Where does it come together? Where where does it overlap? Because it's going to overlap. There's going to be common ground. So that's what we, um, that's how we got started, and that's why we we decided to eventually eight years later. I think it was 2012. That's when I really committed myself after I'd done all this research and and shared these verses, and people finally said, you know, I think you need to be the one to do this. No one else is doing it, and I thought, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say yes to creator about this, but, but creator, I don't know what I'm, you know, what I'm doing. I don't know why anyone would ever take me seriously. You know, uh, who's Terry Wildman? Uh, he's not trained to be a translator. He's not trained to, to do all this stuff. And formally he doesn't belong to a Bible translation organization or anything like that. And, um, and then, uh, so we just I just started kind of just stepping out and and trusting creator that he was kind of like Abraham. I started going with but I wasn't sure where, where exactly how where I would end up on this and but I was committed in my heart to do it. So we just began the uh, I began the process and along the way came a Bible translation organization that saw what we were doing because I created a website, I created a Facebook page, I started sharing samples, I started telling people what we're doing. And, and, uh, and uh, of course, you know, uh, as I worked on this more and more, it took more and more of my time. I don't know if you realize it, it takes time to sit down and do this. <laughs> digging into the Hebrew, digging into the Greek, digging into all this information. And, and then, you know, uh, and then, praying and and getting feedback from other people other other natives giving help and feedback and you know we all agree right all our native people agree exactly what it's <laughs> no we don't <laughs> so that was another challenge was we're talking intertribal so this is an intertribal translation it's not tribally specific but anyway that's that's how it got started and that's why is there is there a lot of resistance to people that 
don't want to use the First Nations version, you know, it's just like you said, you don't have maybe the credentials or you're not part of a translation organization. Like, have you seen a lot of people kind of resist using this translation? Well, we we do have a very small percentage of resistance. It's really surprised us how accepted it's been, how the feedback we're getting from Native and non-Native people is very, very good. I, I from honestly, maybe negative feedback, 1%, <laughs> you know, uh, go, go to amazon.com to the first nation version and look at the reviews and look and see, go right to the negative ones. The ones that say it's a blasphemy and all that kind of stuff. And, and there's, there's maybe three, and then there's like 500 positive ones, you know, five stars and stuff. So, and, and native people and non-native people are both reacting to it in a good way and, and getting, uh, getting something out of it. I mean, uh, Renee said that she was brought to tears. I have had, uh, that happened so many times. Um, um, one of the, uh, amazing times for me was early on after we had just published the uh, the First Nation version through InterVarsity Press. We just published it, and and someone, uh, a Native lady from Canada who was part of the one of the big church organizations up in Canada, uh, wanted to interview me on the First Nation version. But like, uh, uh, who was it here? Bobby. Uh, she hadn't read it yet, and so she's interviewing me about it, and I said would you like me to read some of it? And she said, yeah. And so I'm on this, you know, Zoom interview with her it's being recorded. And I start reading to her. I can't remember what, what, what I read from. It, it might have been the Beatitudes, right? Okay, Matthew chapter five. And I'm reading it and I'm watching her and she starts crying. <laughs> this, this, she, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, that's really touching me deeply. And I said, okay, so now you have more of an idea of, of how this is being received by our Native people, that somehow because we've got Native people writing this and wording this, uh, it's, it's, it's um, being heard differently. It's like the scripture, a lot of them say, it was like hearing my grandpa tell me, you know, one of, one of my favorite stories uh, recently was uh, someone, I have a friend who gives away these, goes to different reservations and gives these away at churches and, uh, and different places. And he was at one church, I, I don't remember which tribe it was, but he told me this story. He says he gave it, he gave copies out to people in the church. There was a grandma there, an elderly grandma, native grandma. And her little, her, her granddaughter was there about seven years old. And, and he, and she opened it up and she starts reading it to her granddaughter. And the granddaughter looks up and says, grandma, the Bible sounds like you. <laughs> she goes, that's the way you talk. <laughs> and, and uh, so it, that was, that to me was, you know, I don't care how many negative things I get when I hear stuff like that, it makes all the difference in the world. But one thing that has helped was a Bible translation organization called One Book got a hold of us 
and we partnered together and they gave us the expertise and they gave us credibility in doing this. We worked with a translator who has worked with indigenous cultures for 50 years, translating the Bible into the indigenous languages in, in the Philippines and Africa and different places. Um, but he had never worked with First Nations, with native people. And so this was, he loved helping out and he's still working with us. Dave Olson is his name. He works with us on the, on the uh, Psalms and Proverbs now. Some people get get upset because in your translation you don't just use like like you don't use like Jesus, Peter, John. You kind of give them a different name that kind of you know talks more about who they were in person. And you 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 call Jesus Creator sets free, which is a great way to describe that Jesus was Creator and He came and set us free from you know our bad hearts, as your translation would say. Right. Uh, but I, I've heard, you know, and, and when you write in your translation, it says creator sets free. And then in parentheses, you put the name of the person like Jesus. You know, there are some people that take issue with you putting Jesus name in parentheses. And even, you know, you didn't change his name, but, you, you know, you call him something a little different. Uh, so how, how do you answer people that kind of have that that issue with your translation? Well, the, the first time we ran into that, we were in Florida, our, our translation team was working with um, some Bible translators in uh, Wycliffe Associates. And um, one of the Bible translators, I, I took a break, we had a lunch break, and he pulled me aside, one of these Bible translators, and, and he says, you can't get saved calling on Creator Sets Free. You have to call on the name Jesus. And I was embarrassed for him. I, I was embarrassed for him. You're a, he's a Bible translator. He doesn't understand the whole principle of translation. And, and he thinks that the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, has been his name forever. You know, you know it's, so, it's so funny. And so I, I, I painstakingly walked him through how the, the name of Jesus has a meaning. And it means creator sets free or creator saves or creator or God saves or God uh, delivers us. That's what his name means. And so I'm explaining this to him. I walk him through the whole thing. And when I get done, he looks at me and goes, well, I still don't think you should do it this way. And I says, well, I'm glad you're not in charge. <laughs> because, because this is the way we need to do this. And and um, and I, I had other another Bible translator with me. He was on my side. He was saying that's exactly right. We worked with other cultures. You know, when I went to Madagascar, they called Jesus Jesosi. Can you get can you get saved calling on Jesosi? That's not G, the name Jesus. And then a friend of mine, Bruce Plummer, he's a Cinnaboyne uh, from in, in Montana, Montana Indian Ministries. He's been taking the First Nation version out there to all kinds of churches, native and non-native, to raise support, to give these Bibles away everywhere he can. And so he runs into the same things. When he gets into a native church that has been assimilated into the Western culture, a lot of the people are going, oh, you can't call him greater sets free. So he has to go just a minute and he, he gets... I think he he opens up the old old King James Bible, 
before the name Jesus was in there. And it says Yesu or, or Jesus or something like that. Uh, and coming directly out of the Greek, that's how you would pronounce his name, Yesu or Jesus. And, and uh, he explains that, so you're saying if I don't use the name Jesus, that I can't be saved. And they said, well, that's what the Bible says. And and so he says, so all the people, be, that was 400 years ago that the name J-E-S-U-S was first used in the Geneva Bible, 400 years ago. The King James eventually adopted that name also, Jesus, about the same time period, for roughly 400 years. She's saying, so you're saying everyone before 400 years ago couldn't get saved because they didn't know the name Jesus. And so he's he has to walk them through it and everything. And he everywhere he goes, he runs into that uh, from a few people, not everybody. Uh, most people really appreciate uh, the meaning of the name. As a matter of fact, the feedback that I've gotten from our native people the most, the thing they appreciate most about this translation is putting all the meanings of the names in. Because traditionally, that's what our our names, our native names traditionally had meaning. And in the Bible, the meaning of the name sometimes uh, relates uh, to the story. It gives me more meaning to the story. Um, matter of fact, Paul talks about um, Abraham and Paul calls him father of many nations because he says that's what his name means so creator gave him a name because he, that's what creator was giving him this this uh, ability this this uh, he was calling him to be this kind of person and in our native culture you know when our, our some some cultures are are our clan name we have we have many names sometimes uh, uh, and but those names relate to our role and our place within our clans and within our our tribe and things like that uh, sometimes if you're born into a certain clan you're not going to be a leader <laughs> because it's not a leadership clan right so you, you do other things and so that very name begins to develop our identity um, and I think it did in the Bible, too. The names, uh, think of how important it must have been that Jesus got the right name because an angel had to name him. Had to tell them, you're to give him this name. And it says, because he will save his people from their sins in the standard translation. So I said, the, the angel says, his name will be creator sets free for he will set his people free from their bad hearts and broken ways. So that's how the, it translates over to first nation. And, and another thing I want to say is, is I know this translation has gotten a lot of attention. Like it's so native. They say, I'm, I, I don't think it's so native. I think it's mildly native. Okay. Mildly native, but it shows that even being mildly native, has power, <laughs> has power, you know, um, because our people have a beauty in the way we we think about the world, the way we form, we originally formed our thoughts in our languages 
some things can't even be translated across uh, because they're so culturally oriented that it wouldn't make sense to anyone outside the culture to know what that name uh, or to what that word relates to. And but when you but what I love is many natives today, um, they're teaching the language in a way where they explain the, how the word fits into the culture. And where the idea for the word came from. And I love that kind of teaching. That's how we should teach the Bible. That's how we should teach, you know, uh, about Jesus in the, in the scripture. Creator sets free. Um, so I'm, I'm saying that this translation is kind of mildly native sounding. Um, but it does connect enough that I'm convinced uh, we, 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 we got a good start on it. Now, I, maybe... We can inspire some other tribes out there. See, since our translation hasn't been tribally specific, what if there was a tribally specific translation made in English from, uh, you know, for, from different native, like what if the Zuni had a, a translation that was really oriented in English toward the Zuni people? Maybe, maybe if there's a Zuni translation, in the original language, maybe it, it could come right out of that original language into English again, but worded using some of the culture uh, metaphors and ways of, of thinking and, and talking and bringing that into the English language. I think the English language will be a better language when we do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I know that um, the the Zuni church, uh, the Christian Reformed Church in Zuni has um, partnered with Wycliffe good bible translators and they have um translated genesis into zuni um and then even i th i think the key to this conversation too is translate translation you know because sometimes even words translated from english into zuni um maybe will not like translate perfectly or it will the way um maybe translators are trying to use the zuni language to fit into the scriptures probably won't like translate perfectly that way either right. and so there's even the just that whole um relationship with translation um I, but i think for me the 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 dreaming comes for me you know like i said that i did come to tears when i read it because it is so much within the style of the way we speak across you know like intertribal um in the way we relate to one another and so there was even just that hope of like there is something for us to which we can relate to um and i think part of it too that i'm seeing is that the western church is is so used to being the dominant language that sometimes we have to remind the Western church that like it, they're not the dominant language or they're not the dominant narrative, that it is okay for you to make space for other cultures. Um, there's no threat to that. And so even just to be able to read the First Nations version um, in, in that style opened up dreaming for me as far as like, okay, this is scripture of like the Hebrew creation story, but I know that there's creation stories of the Zuni people. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure that you experienced that with working with Hopi. They have their own creation story yeah. of how they came right. to be. And I appreciate it that you said that your intention with being on Hopi land was to be a good missionary, you know, AKA being a good relative to the Hopi people. Like that's, I think that I appreciate it that you said that because even as we relate to other tribes, um, you know, there, there needs to be a kindness in the way, in the way we relate to other people of how that, that we have to acknowledge that they do have their own creation stories of the way creator brought them up. And then we, but we don't won't we won't know that unless we listen to their story and then being able to see where's that, where does that common story come from of the way the Hebrews experienced you know, or the, you know, the Jewish people experience creator, like if that's possible, how is it possible for, you know, people like us too? Yeah, I have a, um, uh, a native friend who's a minister that does not like the first nation version. And, um, I, matter of fact, I invited him to be part of it from the beginning. And, uh, but he, he, he says, he said, you can't do this because our cultures are too diverse. We have too many different cultures and languages out there. So this really, you can't really do this. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm sorry. I told him, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, but I, I really feel like creator is leading me to do this. So, so, and, and maybe it's not for everyone, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just for a number of people. Um, and, uh, and so I take kind of that position. I want to, I want to leave room for people to say, you know, I don't like it and here's why. And, and, and it's okay if you don't like it, you know, um, but it, I mean, I, I have people all the time that every time a new translation comes out, you got all your naysayers and, you know, I know there's more people that hate the message than hate the first nation version, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh uh you know it's it's having a good effect by the feedback we're getting so far um and that if if that's all that happens it's it's wonderful uh to to see that and you know who knows what'll come out of it you know every time uh i guess we broke into new ground here we've been told that we've been we broke into new ground well once you break into new ground there's a whole land there you know <laughs> and what other possibilities might arise out of this um, of doing things in a different way we've done things so long in the same way and are getting the same results you know we've heard that before uh, and that's the, the you know if you keep doing the same thing the same way all the time expecting different results that's insanity, you know. Um, some guy, I can't remember how, Albert Einstein said that. Yeah, you know, he's pretty smart. But um, yeah, uh, one other thing I'll say about it, uh, I'll read it to you. I got a little thing here. Um, the First Nation version is considered a dynamic equivalence. Translation. Dynamic equivalence allows the translator to make edits as needed so the translated text is comprehensible 
within the receiving culture. Um, oftentimes, the target audience is not familiar with the source language or culture and needs idioms and references explained or localized to make sense. So I, when I read that, um, I realized, okay, because at first I thought we were doing a paraphrase. And it does have some elements you might find in a paraphrase in this, in this translation. But I was told pretty clearly by our consultant with 50 years experience that this is not a paraphrase, it is a dynamic equivalence. And I'll give a quick explanation of how that works in what we call the Lord's Prayer, okay? Uh, give us each day our daily bread. So what is daily bread? Okay, what if you're in a culture that doesn't have bread? What do you say? Um, or, you know, or what did daily bread, what did bread mean to the Jewish culture of Jesus' day? And to capture that meaning and bring that into our cultures, so what we did was we actually took a big geographic region and we said the elk, the buffalo, the salmon, the corn, the squash, the wild rice, that was, that's our daily bread, you know, in, in that sense. Those were, you know, the buffalo was sacred. It was, it was the, it, it, the whole, everything depended on being able to have, to be able to uh, gain sustenance from the bu buffalo uh, for the Lakota people. Now that wasn't true for all of our people. We had different kinds of food that was our staple it was our main thing and and it became it, it, it took on a sacredness to it and that's what happened with daily bread for in jesus is talking about daily bread he's talking about the provision that creator gives to you as a you know in your family as a people what uh you know ask him for that for that provision every you know that daily provision that he gives us and those things have an equivalence to bread, but it's not bread, but it's equivalently the same meaning to our people as bread was to Jewish people of that day. So the idea of equivalence of meaning coming across is, is the kind of translation that they say is uh, dynamic equivalence. In the, in the past, our storytellers, uh, they were the ones that that gave us gave our life meaning. They helped us understand who we were as a people and 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 how we live and where we came from and where and wh where we hope to go to. You know what kind of a, what kind of path are we walking? What kind of direction are we going as a people? Where do we want to end up? You know in our lives and and everything, um, and so. Uh, we tried to capture that feeling of a storyteller telling a story in this translation as much as possible. So we added, um, you know, little sections that are separated from the text of Scripture with little explanations. Because what if you're reading the Bible and and you have no idea why, what, circumcision is you have no idea what passover is or or all these different jewish festivals and things like that 
you you know you don't know what a Pharisee is or or a Sadducee or why Jesus was upset with them. So we put little things in there, little explanations that that helped. And sometimes we even added, like instead of just saying Jesus said something, we might say he smiled and said this, or he looked sternly at them and said this. You know, we added little things in to, to give a little feeling of storytelling to it that doesn't change the meaning of the text. And we put we put those things in in italics so you wouldn't uh, so a reader could could understand that they're separate from the actual text. They're added in. So another question, if you were to guesstimate how many indigenous you know, Native American First Nations, indigenous people around the world, how many of them would be resistant to this uh, translation? Well, that's a that's a really good question. Um, if they are resistant and our Native people aren't, aren't necessarily uh, a lot of our, our people don't if they don't like something, they don't have to go tell everybody that they don't like it. So there might be a large number out there that would just read it and just set it aside and just be quiet about it and and not promote it, not say anything about it. Um, man, to know the percentage, I have no idea uh, what the percentage would be. All I know is, um, you know, let me tell you a couple of stories. So, for example, a, a, a native girl in Canada wrote me. And part of her, she's going to a Bible school, and part of her, her, the thing that she's supposed to do is read somebody's book, and then talk to the author about how that book affected them. She chose the First Nation version, and she wrote me, and she she told me uh, that when she first opened it up, she was very critical, very critical of it. But the more she read it, she says, all of a sudden, she said, something happened. I started feeling feeling it and relating to the scripture more and more. And then she says, I've always wanted to get my parents involved in reading the Bible together. And so she, uh, but they wouldn't read the Bible with her. They're not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. And she took them this one and read some of it to them. And now they sit down every week and read the Bible together, you know. And she's not the only one. I've had two, two or three other stories of young people, the Gen, Gen Zers out there, wanting to, to say, I, I have a real faith in Jesus, but my elders don't. My, my mom and dad and my grand, you know, whoever it is. And they and they they have gotten positive feedback when it's kind of separated from the churchy pushy context, you know. Uh, that that often the gospel is brought in a very forceful, pushy way instead of a honorable, thoughtful way to bring the story, you know. Um, and so that. I hope our native, and I've had other stories. Um, one story was there was a person who was definitely anti-Christian because of colonialism, because of all that happened. And someone gave him an early copy of, um, it was just Luke and Ephesians. Way back when we were uh, translating it, we 
published a just Luke and Ephesians. And this one gal wrote me and said, I know a native, it was in Ohio. I know a native guy, she says, and I've been trying to talk to him about Jesus. And he just, he, he says he won't, he's hates Jesus. He hates Christianity, you know? And she, so she, she said, should I give him this? And I said, well, if he'll take it, give it to him. And she did, and he was interested. And he, he took it, came back a month later, and he says, I realize now that it wasn't Jesus that did this to us. It was people who misunderstood who he was. He says, when I read this, I realize that he, he's, a good, he's a good spiritual man, and, and I, can, I can be okay with him. And I thought, wow, what a that's a powerful thing to turn from just reading it, changing his whole perspective on who Jesus is. Now, to me, that's the beginning of, you know, I mean, if the scripture can do that without anybody trying to press it or push it or anything, then then it's to me, that's what the purpose it was actually written down in the first place for you know so that's that's really cool um i guess real quick another question is like what which part of the new testament was like difficult to to translate like is there a certain book or passage or phrase that was just had your scratch in your head like how do you say this in like a very native indigenous way well that's that's a that's a really good question um there were phrases you know we worked on what we called um um, key terms and um, Wycliffe translators have identified about I think it's around 185 key terms in, a tr in, in the New Testament that are the most important things you have to get right in a translation some of those terms might be like priest kingdom kingdom of God um, sin uh, repentance, um, you know, there's just a whole list of 185 of these words. And so our council sat down and we worked through all 185 of those words and came up with a way to say it in English for our native people. That was how we got started with this process. So then when I, uh, when I would do the initial work of translation, I would have this list next to me and i'd be referring to it all the time as we're going through the scriptures this is how we're going to say kingdom this is how we're going to say this and i just start using what we agreed on and wording it uh in, in a way and so one of a hard one was the ki kingdom kingdom of god that, that was that was probably the hardest one and uh i really agonized over it um uh, and i got a hold of a book by George Tinker. I don't know if you ever heard of good old George Tinker. He's our one of our native theologians. He's yeah, written Tink, several yeah. books. Tink, Tink, Tinker, yeah, George, yeah. Tink. <laughs> and uh, and so he has in his book Spirit and Resistance, he has a chapter on the kingdom of God. And as I read through that, I was amazed at the at the depth of his, you know comparing cultures together but one of the things he talks about in there was the idea of this good road the native good road 
the red road, the good road, the, you know, the spiritual road, um, spiritual way of life. Uh, and he thought that, that uh, at least I picked up from him from that reading that chapter, the idea that maybe we could call this the kingdom of God creator's good road. And, and it stuck. And the council agreed. Yeah. When they heard the explanation. Um, and so we, that was one of the terms that we, uh, that we struggled with, but we, uh, you know, settled on. From the very beginning of the New Testament, it was translated. Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. So, and Greek, the Greek people and language comes from another culture. It wasn't the Jewish culture. So it had to be, you know, the, the concepts from the Jewish culture were being translated over into Greek. And from the very beginning, it was intended to be translated into what you would say a non-Jewish language. And I think every translation from that point on is, is following that pattern of taking those, the scriptures and bringing them into another language. And if you follow how the Hebrew goes over to the Greek, you'll see that there's some changes in meaning sometimes, what it seems like in, in meaning, or, and, and you have to go back to the Hebrew to really dig out the, the deeper meaning of it, even when it's read in the Greek, because the Greek couldn't quite capture uh, the full meaning of it and such. But I'll, I'd, I'd like to also close with, um, you know, some scriptures uh, were very easy to translate over to native wording and um i lo i love some of scriptures how it worked better than others you know sometimes i'd run in and and i found that paul, of course jesus there's a lot from him but i found that that paul was quite an indigenous thinker once you get out of his once you get from the greek over uh over there so in colossians here's one of my favorites it says let the message of the chosen one become a deep watering hole inside you. It will then become a refreshing spring as you teach and guide one another with wisdom and understanding. You will sing traditional prayers, sacred chants, and spiritual songs as you dance your prayers before the Great Spirit with glad and thankful hearts. That one just came across nice. You know, and there's a few others like that. There's some in Philippians where we actually use some powwow language. We call Jesus the, the head man dancer, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and in other places. So I just want to say thank you, miigwech, bizindawiyeg. Thank you for listening and, and being interested and caring. And that is our show for today. We'd like to thank Terry for joining us again and talking to us about his his work. Uh, if you want to know more about the First Nations version, just head on over to firstnationsversion.com. So we'd like to thank you for joining us at the table today. And remember to be a good relative and read your Bible. There's good ideas on how to be a good relative there. <laughs>